0: Great, thank you. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we, um, we're conscious again that we come before you uh, inadequate, frail, uh, with all kinds of hurts and um, uh, sins that we're struggling with. And we pray, please, tonight that you might minister to us by your word, through the work of your spirit, that your spirit might take these very words tonight and um, touch our lives deeply with them and transform and change as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're coming to the next chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and uh, as I've reflected on uh, this chapter over many years but in recent times too, it it does strike me, it seems obvious to me that there are parts of this passage but parts of the Bible where we will find ourselves perhaps tonight saying, look, I get it but I don't, I hear what you're saying but I don't believe it, yeah, nah... (laughs) You know, I think there's a, there's a thing about Bible reading, you can read a part of the Bible or hear a part of the Bible and find yourself saying, um, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying but I, that's not how I like to think about it? You find yourself saying that? Or there'll be times where what the Bible says is so at odds with the way you think, you won't even hear it, you just, it just kind of breezes through. It's like that at home sometimes with married couples, they... Um, I hear this happens where a married couple are talking together and uh, she says, uh, I'm going to go and buy that thing and he says, yeah, 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 sure, and I'm going to go and buy that, yeah, yeah, sure, and then a week later she's bought that thing and he says, what are you doing buying that thing? So I told you and told you. but you didn't hear it because it, was, it just didn't fit what you were doing and thinking and so on. Now that's all kind of, that's easygoing, light, not a big deal until she comes and says, or he comes and says... This marriage is not going the way I want it to go. There's something broken in our relationship that needs to be fixed. And he, she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And then a week later, she says again, no, 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 I'm, I'm saying something's wrong. Something's really wrong. Something needs to be fixed. And he says, yeah, 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 yeah. He never hears it. And if you keep not hearing that kind of thing, then the marriage is headed for great disaster. You know, there's some things when you don't quite listen, it doesn't matter so much. But there are other things when you don't quite listen, it really has profound implications. I want to suggest to you tonight, uh, when we're listening to the Bible, it's God speaking. And it's important, therefore, to listen to Him. And to actually not just brush it off, not just dismiss it, uh, but actually really hear what He has to say. And the parts of the Bible, I think we're going to be... this part of the Bible we're looking at tonight, I think there's three bits here that we will struggle to actually believe it's true. And I've I've got a little slide here to help us see it. I I think we're going to find ourselves through this part, as I take us through, finding ourselves saying, it can't be that simple, it can't be that serious, and it can't matter that much. Yeah, nah. Let me take you through them. Let, Let me hit you with the first one, it can't be that simple. Have a look there in verse 19. One of the things this writer makes is a very strong, unambiguous statement about the fact that a person can come with confidence and in fact can enter the most holy place in the temple by the blood of Jesus. It's possible for a sinful human to enter into the most sacred, holiest places of the temple in the place of God, to enter into the presence of God and do it by the blood of Jesus by the blood of Jesus and nothing else. It's by a new and living way, verse 20, opened for us through the curtain, that is His body, His body broken on the cross, breaks open a means by which we can come into the very holiest of holies. Uh, he even says, verse 22, he calls it drawing near to God. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can draw near to God, draw, come right into the very presence of God into his, into his uh, very um, heart and affection and love and he says all of this is possible based purely and simply on the blood of Jesus shed for us and our faith in that, our trusting that, looking to that, not looking to ourselves, not looking to anything else, but looking to the blood of Jesus, on the basis of that blood, he says we can come into the very presence of God and many of us hear this and go, yeah, nah, it can't be that simple. It can't be that's all there is. And actually, most of church history has said the same, but it can't be that simple. I want to show you some of that tonight. So let's dig a little bit here to make sense of it. Verse 22 uh, he does say, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. What is it to draw near? What is that? In the Old Testament, it was very obvious what drawing near was, it was a physical activity. Uh, To draw near to God, you would go to the place where His name resided, where His special presence existed, which was the temple in Jerusalem. God lives everywhere. Of course, God is omnipresent, He's everywhere. But uh, in the Old Testament period of time, if you wanted to draw into the presence of God, you'd go to the temple and you would draw near physically. You would walk into the outer courts, drawing closer. You would walk into the inner courts, drawing even closer. And you would go into the holy place and then someone would go right near to God in the Holy of Holies. But that only once a year, and that is a high priest, and that only was sacrificed for their sins and the sins of the nation. That's what it was in the Old Testament, to draw near. But what is it now, because the temple's gone? There's no, God does not dwell anywhere in Jerusalem. Where do you go to draw near to God then when there's no... The the temple's been fulfilled in the person of Jesus going into the heavens, the true temple. So the Old Testament temple is now obsolete, it's gone. Where do you go? What place? There's no place. Going to the bush doesn't make you nearer to God. Uh, 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 Going into a church building doesn't make you nearer to God. God doesn't live here through the week. What a lonely, cold place to hang out. He doesn't live here, He doesn't live in cathedrals in Europe, He doesn't live in those places... Um, you you, you go to the ocean it doesn't get you closer to God except if you go down a long way and stay there for a long time too you'll find yourself very near to God but uh, going into the the surf doesn't get you nearer to God Um, where do you go physically you don't get there's no physical place you can go about so what's he talking about well he's using a kind of an old idea of drawing near physically to, to, to a place into a into a kind of spiritual sense well I can draw near spiritually how how do I do that We don't do it by some mystical experience of meditation or singing until you kind of lose yourself and get caught up. That's not how you come into the presence of God. What he's talking about here is something far more simple. It's in chapter 4 verse 16. Come over to chapter 4 verse 16. So when you're trying to understand what a verse means, you find other verses that help you understand what it means, that's how you read your Bible. Come to chapter 4 verse 16, the same author tells us this, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Now what's not evident in the English, which is evident in the Greek, the original language, he uses the same words. Effectively he says in chapter 4 verse 16, let us draw near to God with confidence, same Greek words. Let us, so what do we? when you draw near in chapter 4 verse 16, what are you doing here? Well, you draw near to God's throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. What's happening as you draw near to God? You're not going to a place or a building or singing. What you're doing is drawing near in prayer. It's the act of praying. What he's talking about here is um, that... The, there's a, there's a kind of intimacy that you can enjoy as a Christian in relationship with God all the time, because He's always with you. Um, but to draw near to Him is to draw near to Him particularly in prayer, by coming in prayer, requesting things of this God, asking Him, and in fact, walking through life daily, prayerfully, knowing that He's for you, whatever whatever you bring, whatever requests you bring to Him, He will delight to hear them. That is a, that's what it is to draw near, to live without fear and confidence and certainty with this God, draw near. Now how can you draw near to God? How can you bring your prayers to God? How can you do it, live in intimacy with God? On what basis has a sinner the right to draw near like this? And how can you do it with full assurance, confidence that God is your friend, your Lord, as Phil said? your master, how do you, can you do it with full assurance? Well, verse 22, he says, chapter 10 now, he says, it's only possible to do this with a sincere heart, full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. How do you come? You come by being cleansed and purified. How do you get cleansed and purified? You get cleansed and purified by the most extraordinary thing, verse 19, by the blood of Jesus. By His blood washing you. Blood doesn't wash things clean, but the blood of God's Son does. You see, many of us hear this and we say, it can't be that simple. No, 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 no. No, you, can't, you can't come to God with all your prayers and requests just because Jesus' blood was shed. You, that can't be that simple. Um, now, most of human history has said it can't be that simple. Like, why? Why do we find it so difficult? Which is, well, I'll tell you why. Because which of us is worthy? Which of us feels worthy to draw near to the holy God of the universe? Knowing what our heart is like, knowing the sins that we've committed, knowing our. Posture and attitudes, and the how, how can God have us now? I suspect many of you feel this in prayer, and I don't mean the prayer that's a trivial one. You go to air an affair, you don't want to have a walk, and so you pray for a parking spot near to JB Hi Fi, right? And wow, one turns up, it's it's a disabled parking spot but it's God's given it to you and so you feel justified to enter into it but the um, you know when you pray those kind of prayers it doesn't you know it's not a big deal but here's the deal um, yeah the father the mother you love a sister a brother you love has a terrible accident and they're in casualty uh, in intensive care on death's door and this, remember, is the, the sibling, the brother, the friend, the, the, this is one you deeply love. And then you pray. And you pray to the God who rules over all and you pray really wanting this prayer to be answered. And I bet you're tempted to think, the only way the Holy God of the universe will pay attention to my prayers and possibly answer them is if I get my act together. And so I stop doing that stuff I shouldn't be doing. I start reading my Bible more regularly. I start going along to church. I I start being the Christian I know I should be because I want to have this prayer answered. And I know that if I want a prayer answered, if I want to come into the presence of God and have Him answer my prayers, I need to get my life fixed up. Isn't that how most of us think? In a sense, what we're saying is to, to to draw near to God in prayer and have Him favourably respond to my prayers, to draw near to God, what I need to do is have Jesus and my cleaned up life, my righteous deeds. I need to be better than I was before this God will listen to us. Many of us hear this stuff and we go, yeah, nah, can't be that simple. But look again at this passage, look at verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, assurance, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, it's a new way, not been seen before, a new way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. Since we have this great high priest who has spilled his blood for us, let's draw near to God with full assurance... The assurance that trusting in His blood gives us. Do you see, he says, it's the blood of Jesus, the high priestly work of Jesus, and not anything else that's necessary. Nothing else is required. Actually, I'll tell you something else is required. What's required is that you realise that your life could never be good enough, and so you're humble enough to see that what's needed is only Jesus' blood. That's what's required. Faith on your behalf towards God and not yourself. And the full assurance then comes when I appreciate that, here it is, that this rotten, polluted, corrupted heart can be washed clean by the blood of God's Son. That there's a kind of cleansing power in the blood of Jesus that doesn't just clean me on the outside, but actually can seep right into my very soul, and wash off every corruption, sin, guilt, pollution, so that I can be cleansed body, soul, conscience, heart, and made new so that God can welcome me and love me as his child and favor me. Ah, no, it can't be that simple. Look again at what it says. You know, if you're finding yourself tonight thinking it can't be that simple, well, there are great multitudes throughout history who have shared that opinion as well. I'm going to take you on a quick history lesson to give you some sense of this. Within the very first few months and years of the Christian message being delivered, this new and living way opened up for us by the blood of Jesus, the covenant of grace, the covenant of forgiveness, the new covenant, within a few months and years of that being presented to people in the ancient world, churches began to pop up of people going, wow, Phil, wow, uh, uh, um, release, freedom, I can come to God and know God. But within a short time, those same churches began to wonder whether it really was that simple, that it really is just the blood of Jesus that's sufficient. And there's a church in Galatia, where Paul the Apostle preached this message and they came to Christ but then a new group came along after Paul, a group called the Judaizers and began to preach that yes, you need Jesus, sure, but you need the law as well. You need to keep the law, you need to have Jesus and your righteousness. You you, you need you need to trust in Jesus and follow Him as Lord and be good enough. They said the both end. And Paul said to them in Galatians chapter 5... You who are trying to be right with God by keeping the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. What Paul says is there's not two ways. It's not grace plus works. It's not the blood of Jesus plus my righteous life that gets me there. It's only the blood of Jesus. And if you add works and your own righteousness to that as a way to kind of bolster it and make it better, you corrupt and pollute grace and you've fallen away. It's like adding water into petrol. Petrol works fantastically, but if you mix it with water, it ruins the whole thing. The works of our righteousness added in with the petrol of God's grace destroys it all. You know, it's, uh, it happened very quickly that people said it can't be that simple, and they added their own works. But then, after centuries, this conviction of... A new and living way through the blood of Jesus and only the blood of Jesus was almost entirely lost to the church. You would go, you'd go to churches through the ancient world, and in, in almost in, entirely the case across the world, you would not hear this message preached. They lost their Bibles. They. They translated it into a language that the people didn't know and it wasn't a great translation and the priests who ran the churches didn't actually preach from the Bible, they didn't explain the Bible, they just gave messages uh, and and often incomprehensible and the people lost it. And when they were left on their own, how did they work out how you get to God? Well, you've got to be good enough. And so it was all about my righteousness, my works, my efforts. This was lost from the church. And so... There was a period of time where there was a great meeting of the leaders of the ancient church in in 1540, 50 AD, about that time, uh, called the Council of Trent. All the priests, all the the bishops and um, uh, cardinals and pope gathered together in a a great council to work out what is the way of getting to God. And they came up with a set of declarations, it's it's in the Council of Trent, if you chase it up online, you can just Google Council of Trent, on justification, just look up on justification, you'll see a series of statements. Here's one of them, it's from Canon 9 and it says this, If anyone saith, this is a long time ago, right? If anyone saith that by faith alone the sinner is justified, made right with God, in such a wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order that the obtaining of this grace of justification, let him be anathema. What does anathema mean? It means under a curse. So what's being said by these letters was, if, well, just repeat it for you, if anyone says that you get into the very presence of God, the Holy of Holies, by the blood of Jesus alone, and when they say that, they mean... That you just need to trust in the blood of Jesus alone and not add your own works to it. If they mean that, that you can't add your own works to it, they're under a curse. Because you need to add your own works to it, is what they taught. Because they were convinced, it can't be that simple. can't be that simple. This caused, or the events around this caused, the greatest split in the history of the Christian church. You might look around and see lots of denominations but uh, before the 1500s there really was only one denomination, one church, the Holy Universal Church. But this, 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 this concern about how to be saved and also the authority of the Pope and so on and so forth, various issues caused a massive split that's never been mended, the split between Catholicism and Protestantism, the, the churches that protested, the view the Catholic Church held and they protested about these various issues. Um, The question is, is my ability to come into the presence of God, be saved, stand before a God eternity, is the ability to be saved, to, 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 to draw near to this God, based purely and only on the blood of Jesus and His sacrifice for us? Or does it need to have my righteousness as well? Do do I need to cooperate in order to obtain the righteousness, uh, the accessibility to God? That was the question. And there were a group of men who uh, discovered the Bible again in its original languages, were able to get past the dodgy translations like we can now, we can go straight to the original languages, there's no big mystery... They were able to go straight to the original languages and discovered again that the Bible taught that you can be assured that God will have the sinner based purely on the blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19, 20, 21 and 22. That this Jesus, his death was, verse chapter 10 verse 14, by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That his sacrifice, chapter uh, 10, verse uh, 10, his sacrifice makes holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. This Jesus' powerful death is sufficient to cover and cleanse the sinner's heart. This split occurred because the church kept saying, no... it's not that simple, you've got to add your works. And these men said, the Bible's saying something different. Listen to one of them, this is a man called Martin Luther, in about 1520, uh, he discovered this uh, truth and he said this in realising that uh, it's by faith alone in the righteousness of Jesus that I'm saved. He said, here I felt that I was altogether born again, and it entered paradise itself through open gates. There was now a totally other face of the entire scriptures that showed itself to me. His eyes were opened. It's by grace and grace alone by Jesus' blood and Jesus' blood alone, that the death of Jesus, because he is the God-man, that the the extraordinary character of who it was who shed his blood, that blood has the power to cleanse entirely and sufficiently and perfectly the sins of the whole world. All those who put their faith in this Jesus can be cleansed, purified and able to be drawn near to this God. Now I mention all of this because... What the Bible teaches as a new way, the way of the blood of Jesus alone, is so unique, it's so different. It's so at odds with what we naturally think that most humans can't hear it. Oh, I hear what you're saying. You've got to trust in the blood of Jesus and be good enough. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. No, 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 I didn't say that. It's just, it can't be that simple though. But it is that simple. Look at what the Bible says brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, we can come not just into the outer courts, not just, you imagine, in the ancient world, pushing into the outer courts, then pushing into the inner courts, uh, then pushing into the holy, pushing into the holy of holies. The priest is saying, stop, you can't come in here, you would have sacrifices done, you'd have cleansing and water washing and then you pull apart the curtain and you stride into the holy of holies, where God dwells, where only one man's allowed to go once a year and you stride in there and they say, what are you doing in here? And you say, the blood of Jesus... I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Not with any pride, not with any arrogance, but with a sense of a humble recognition of the power of that cross. That He said, if I look to Him in His blood, I am welcome and present now. That's what this text is saying. So we say, whatever the formal statements of whatever church there are, whether it's the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church, or the Baptist Church, or the Seventh-day Adventist Church, whatever their formal teachings, we follow the Word of God. We listen to the Scriptures. And the Scriptures say, there is a new and living way, established through the death of Jesus, His blood shed, a fountain that is able to cleanse the filthiest sinner... So, you can bring your prayers to this God and know that He loves to hear them. And He will receive you into eternity because of the blood of Jesus paid for your sin. It is that simple, wonderfully. Second, is it really that serious? Is it really that serious? What I want to take you to now is the second half of this passage, verse 26. Uh, The author moves from the beauty of what's been given to us in Christ to the horror of what is given to us if we slide away from Christ. And he says it really is that serious. Look at verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of the judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. It really is that serious. This section is full of terrifying statements. Look at uh, a little bit further down there in verse 30. We know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, who is, chapter 12, verse 31, a consuming fire. These are terrifying statements, that it is a thing full of dread to fall into the hands of the living God, uncovered by the blood of Christ. Now we find ourselves hearing these things and I dare say some of us are sitting there going, yeah, no. Nah. that's not the kind of God I want to believe in. Our culture has done a real job on the idea of God as a fearing, a fearful God. They've made a mockery of it, a caricature of it, a, you know, the sandwich board guy, turn or burn, you know, the judgment's coming, we laugh at it, we scoff at it. Um, it, it, it it's been made to sound foolish and funny, primitive... Uh, I read just this, uh, just yesterday, uh, a lady, a journalist saying that the younger generation is going to grow up and throw off this antiquated, primitive Christianity with its ideas of judgment. She is convinced it's a foolishness and a stupidity. Um, And the upshot of it is that most of us in our society are left pretty sure that if there is a God, it won't be that serious whether you follow Christ or not, yeah, it's up to you, it's a personal whatever, but it won't be that serious. Most of us are convinced that's the case. And Christians have our own version of this, we have the old, you have the version of the Old Testament God, is the God of judgment, who's harsh. We have the New Testament God, who's loving and light and beautiful and forgiving of everybody and accepting and do whatever you like. And we have these two kind of gods, Old Testament, New Testament. But I want you to notice that this passage completely reverses that thinking. Have a look there in verse 28. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses, the Old Testament, died without mercy on the testament of two or three witnesses. Yes, there was judgment in the Old Testament. Look at verse 29. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who was treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace... What this preacher is saying effectively is that, um, yes, it's always been bad to turn away from God, but under the new era with Jesus, it's worse. Let me try and illustrate why. You know, uh, young adults uh, you know, who re- rebel against their parents, who throw off their parents and no longer talk to their parents, it's always a bad thing, it's a dreadful thing. Except in the most extreme cases where parents have been so abusive... But it's, it's, it's a dreadful thing to throw off your parents. Um, but to throw off your parents who have been only loving, only kind, only generous, not in a suffocating way, but in a wise and thoughtful, considerate, who have given, sacrificed their lives for the good of a young person, to have that young adult throw, rebel against and reject and despise their parents is a dreadful thing. Well, that's what this preacher saying. Bad to throw off God in the Old Testament. But to throw off God now, when that God has shown Himself to be a God of immense love, who has become one of us, become incarnate, taken on human flesh, given Himself over to the crucifixion, to the cross, to die and bleed, that we might have the gift of life... To realise how much this God has given us and then walk away. This author is saying, it is a dreadful thing. It is a worse thing. We know him who says it's mine to avenge, I will repay. The Lord will judge. And it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of this living God. The question for us then perhaps is who is this for? Who's he, who's he warning here? Who, who are these people, verse 26, who would deliberately keep on sinning and have no sacrifice left? If you're sensing the seriousness of the judgment of God, then does it apply to you? How do you know? I keep on sinning. Does this mean it's me? how would you work it out? Well, how do you work out what he means by deliberately keeping on sinning, verse 26? What you do is you see how he uses that language elsewhere and it's important to note actually, if you look down um, in verse uh, 29, you'll see he talks about the same person with different phrases applied to them. So he talks about the person who deliberately keeps on sinning but then he says that's, this, that's that person, verse 29, is someone who is trampling the Son of God underfoot. So deliberately keeping on sinning is trampling the Son of God underfoot, it's treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctifies them and it's insulting the Spirit of grace. So this thing, deliberately going on sinning, is trampling Jesus, it's despising the covenant and it's dismissing the covenant of grace. This is not just someone who struggles with sin and falls. You get what I'm saying? The person he's speaking about here is not just someone who um, wants to follow Jesus, is trusting in the blood of Jesus, but finds himself constantly caught up in that same sin again and deliberately even does it, but does it with a sense of, this is not the way, I don't want this to be the way, I want to be broken free from this, please God help me, there I am again, I find myself in the same place. That's not who he's talking about. He's talking about someone who has determined to walk away from Jesus, deliberately keeping on sinning. It's the person who says, I'm now no longer going to stand under the Lordship of Jesus, uh, or at least I'm going I'm to live with Jesus as my convenient Lord and I'm going to do what I like with just reference to Jesus. That's who he's talking about. Someone who dismisses the covenant and goes back to an old life. That's what it is to go on sin deliberately. Now let me try and sharpen it in application for us, before we get to our third and final point. Let me just... Um, I, I think tonight there's potentially three different groups of people amongst us. I want to speak to each of you. There'll be some sitting here amongst us who have a very sensitive conscience. And that's a beautiful thing. The problem though with a sensitive conscience is you read a passage like this and you go, it's me, I sinned, I sinned today and I deliberately did it. It's me. It's me. And I want to say to you, it's probably not you. It, it, the, the evidence that it's probably not you is your anxiety over it being you. The person who is this deliberately keeping on sinning person who tramples the Son of God underfoot and treats... That person doesn't care whether they've done it or not. But if you find yourself deeply anxious about wanting to please Jesus but struggling up and down then you're not the person he's talking about here. I want to encourage you to keep soft to Jesus, keep um, wrestling with your sin. It's It's a long life journey, settle in for the battle, but read verse 19, 20, 21 and 22 lots. Because you, dear brother and sister, with your sensitive conscience, because of the blood of Jesus, whilst ever you are looking to the blood of Jesus you can draw near to God with full assurance, sinner that you are. Wow. When you have your prayers that matter so much to you and you bring them to your Heavenly Father, you always pray in the name of Jesus, I ask this. Not in my name, not in my righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus, whose blood was shed for me, please listen to me. And He will. And you can have full assurance You are covered by the blood of Jesus. You are safe, dear brother with a sensitive conscience, dear sister. There's a second kind of group amongst us. It's those who perhaps have a hardened conscience. And you might be sitting there going, "Ah, no, no, no. I hear what you're saying actually. I'm hearing it. But I don't think God's like that. And for you, you pick and choose what you want to believe. You, bits, you like bits of the Bible, you don't like these bits of the Bible. You've worked out your, your faith the way you want it to be. And you're here and you're kind of listening in and you're kind of going, yeah, no. Nah. I want to say to you, the big question to wrestle with is is what the author's saying here at the end of chapter, in the middle of chapter 10, is it true? Is it true that God will judge? Is it true that it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Is that true? Put aside whether you like it or not. Put aside whether you think it's primitive or modern, whatever. Put us, the question to ask is, is it true? How do you work out whether it's true? You look at the historical evidences of the person of Jesus. Because if Jesus died and rose again to life, He is the Lord of the living and dead, and there is a judgment to come. Come to life this week. It's exactly the night to come that looks at the historical evidences of the person of Jesus. Because if he is who he says he is, then this is true. It is as serious as the Bible says it is. I want to, though, talk to the third person amongst us. There's a third person amongst us who I want to call the drifter. And it's the person who is hanging around, has been keen, solid, but you're now finding it's just hard to keep going as a Christian. You want to spend more time with your friends who are living a different lifestyle, you want to pursue that path a bit more. And you're here sometimes, you're not here much, you go to growth group maybe every now and then, you're not. And I want to say to you tonight, to read this passage and tremble tremble before this God because if you walk away from Jesus there is nothing left except judgment and it is that serious it's life, death, heaven, hell this really matters do whatever you need to do to sort out that repent of that life and turn back and pray that he gives you the grace to come back to him But, third one, so the two things, it is as simple as the Bible says it is, the blood of Jesus. It is as serious as the Bible says, Eternity is at stake. Third, it matters greatly. What matters greatly? Verse 24 and 25. Very quickly... And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider how we may spur one another on, spur one another on to love and good deeds. If you've, if you've been alert and you have reading this passage you'll notice the first uh, verse 19 to 21 he spells out the confidence that we have in Jesus and verse 20 22 he starts a series of implications there's three of them he says let us verse 22 verse 23 let us verse 24 let letter three lettuces and each is run like this it goes verse 22 it goes let us come with faith let us hold on to hope faith hope what do you expect next love If you've read the New Testament much, you'll notice that there's a pattern, there's a triad, these three things are always mentioned, faith, hope and love together, always a package. And it seems like this preacher has picked up that thing and so he says, come with faith, full assurance, continue to cling to the hope of the return of Christ and verse 24, continue to devote yourself to love. What does it mean to be a loving person who's a Christian? What it means to be a loving person who's a Christian is to gather with others, to stir each other up, to press on. Because it's so serious. It's so serious. You know, one of the dangers is, for Christians, is that you find yourself... And I'm going to... Let me have a quick rant about church here. Because that's what he's talking about. One of the dangers is, that you find yourself getting to a place where you're tired of going to church. Church is stressful, it's tiring, you've got other things on. And you find yourself in a place where you go, I'm doing okay. I believe in Jesus. And, you know, I'm confident about where I stand and it's okay. And you know what the Apostle Paul would say to you? be very careful if you think you stand firm. Because you are the one most at risk of falling. And if you fall, it's as serious as Hebrews 10 says. Your risks are massive. And I've been in ministry, I mean, I'll tell you this every now and then, I've been in ministry for many decades now and I see it happening again and again. Young men, young women feel like They've got that now, they're okay, they begin to explore other things and they slowly drift and the deceitfulness of the human heart says, they're okay, they're okay and they're not okay and they disappear. And this preacher says, don't go that path, it's death. And learn to be a person of love. If we've received so much by the blood of Jesus, this confidence to come into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, then learn to be a person who loves others and wants them to press on. Learn to shift from, I come to church to get fed, that's a great thing. I need to come to be stirred up, to continue to press on in the things of Christ. Learn to move towards becoming a person who not only needs to come to be fed, but comes to give, comes to love others. One of the um, one of the important disciplines I've had in my Christian life for many decades is most weeks when I come to church, I can't claim to do it every time because I'm imperfect. But most weeks I pray on the way to church, Lord, let me be a blessing to someone this week. And that's not what I'm preaching. I mean, you know, when I come to church, I want to sit and I want to have a conversation with someone where I might be a help to another one, to stir someone else to love and good deeds. And to cultivate that growing attitude in your own heart. That I'm in this because it's so serious. There's so much at stake. It's only in Christ that you're safe. I want to come week by week to stir others and be stirred myself to love and good deeds that others might continue to walk in the things of Christ. And growth group through the week. That you get along every week. That you learn to actually make disciplines of these things. That this is now our life together. And brothers and sisters... uh, it's not good enough to just watch church on TV. If you're sick, if, you're, if you've got such anxiety and stress that you can't come out to a crowd of people, I get it. That's okay. Take time to watch, get by prayer some strength and resources to get back amongst the people of God. Be here, week in, week out. And if you move and have to move, whatever church you belong to, be there, week in, week out. Prayerfully looking to be a help and service to others in growth group. Brothers and sisters, three things that are easy to think they can't be true. It can't be that simple. The blood of Jesus only? Can't be that serious? Really? to Outside of Christ. Church? Matter that much? And I want to say to you tonight... It is that simple, it is that serious and church matters that much. How about I pray for us? Father, we do ask please that you might um, dig deep in our hearts the truth of these things, that uh, we, we might be gripped by the reality of who Jesus is, what he has done, his blood shed, that our only hope is in him but what a hope we have because of him. That by his blood we can be cleansed to the very soul of our being such that we can draw near to you. Please help us appreciate it It is that simple, it is that wonderful and profound. And please help us appreciate how serious these things are. And we ask it all in Jesus' great name.